Hi, and welcome to my podcast series, The New Abnormal. I'm Sean P. Lodishenesi from Brand Positive, a research, foresight, and strategy consultancy for corporates, agencies, and NGOs. I've spent 20 years working on catalytic projects around the world, and along the way have been lucky enough to have met some amazing people, from psychologists to activists to creatives, some of whom are guests in this series, along with an array of other fascinating individuals. I'm also the author of The Post-Truth Business, which focused on trust, while my second book, Influences and Revolutionaries, focused on innovation. My next book will focus on foresight. So I hope you enjoy this podcast, which is brought to you in partnership with the Copenhagen Institute for Future Studies, a global leader in applying futures thinking to solve strategic challenges within organisations. But now, let me introduce today's guest. So today I'm really pleased to be joined by an incredibly interesting individual, Philippa Wagner. She's a highly creative, commercially driven strategist with extensive big brand experience, having worked with some of the industry's best and brightest, including Birch, Ennismore, Sessions and Locke. Her practice integrates emerging trends into brand experiences that drives 360 growth, connecting people, places and spaces across a range of lifestyle industries with a particular focus on hospitality and retail. With over 20 years experience across trend forecasting, insights and strategy, she knows what it takes to build a brand experience that stays relevant. To which one can only say, uh, where do I sign? Fantastic. So Philippa, hi, and how are you? Hi, uh, <laughs> I'm good, thank you. How are you? In very good form. We were just talking before the start, you saying that you're just back from Vienna. Nice. Yes, that's right. Yeah, no, it was a nice little uh, quick trip for one of my clients. Um, one of the, like a really nice sort of little brief that sometimes I get, which is come and have a look at a property that we're developing. We can't quite decide which brand it should fall under within our portfolio. And who do you think the customers are going to be? What do you think the brand experience should be? And give us your sort of overall sense. So it was a, a nice little whistle stop tour to yeah, to make a direction on a, what will be a launch of a new brand in Europe. Very nice. I mean, just The stuff you get up to is always just so interesting. Um, and obviously it'd be great to unpack that, as they say, as we uh, have this conversation. I mean, I think it's always good just to go back a bit um, to some sort of background, just to get a sort of viewpoint on how they got to where they are now. So go on then, back in the day, I know you were sort of, you know, places like WGSN, etc. And then the Strategic Futures Director at the Mighty Future Lab. A big shout out to Martin and Chris, as always. And then you went to um, Ennismore. So uh, so go on then. Perhaps it's just um, sort of perhaps sort of st starting at that sort of uh, point in time. Just, uh, yeah, perhaps just talk about sort of what you were up to and, uh, yeah, why you were doing it. Yeah, so um, I was actually headhunted from the Future Laboratory um, to go across to Ennismore because they were looking as a hospitality brand to bring in somebody who wasn't from the industry so that somebody would come in with a an external point of view and a 360 perspective on the way that people will be wanting to stay in the future and my remit was I mean it was an amazing brief it was come in and set up an insight and innovation lab develop it create the team tell us what we need to do and, and evolve you know products and brands and, and things within within that I was given two amazing members of the team who'd been there from the infancy of 
Ennismore slash the Hoxton. So it was a really dynamic team. And my first brief really within that, well, I was sort of given two, I suppose, so side by side. One was um, the Hoxton was synonymous with kind of co-working and hot desking at the time. And they were developing two new hotels, which had part of the development, they needed to build some office spaces. So they were like, well, we've got this office space. Either we rent it out or we create our own uh, co-working product. So that was sort of the first brief was to go and dive deeply into what co-working of the future would be uh, and come up with a brand which became Working From, which is the sort of, well, it's now a standalone co-working product within the Ennismore group, but pretty much sort of sits alongside um, the Hoxtons and the latest has just opened in Brussels, which is very exciting. And then in parallel to that, they had also recently acquired uh, a very, very old building, an old bank in St Andrew's Square in Edinburgh. And they wanted to bring Glen Eagles, which is an extremely wonderful high-end luxury product from the from the kind of the highlands of Scotland actually into an urban environment. And they gave me the brief of, we've got a basement. We thought it was going to be a restaurant. It can't be a restaurant. Go tell us what it could be. And that has now become an incredibly wonderful, very, very small uh, wellness space with some really high-tech uh, wellness products in there. So we put cryotherapy chambers in there, we put in infrared saunas, and we put some incredible um, screens that you, when you're doing your spin class or your yoga class is playing really, really high-def visuals of footage that was shot from using drones flying across Glen Eagles and the surrounding areas. So you get that real sense of being that sort of inside, outside, sort of true symbiotic level of wellness. So some incredible kind of early briefs that started my journey there. It's an absolute dream brief. Um, and it always just sounds like such a dynamic place to be. Yeah, it, 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 it was and it is. I mean, it's changed a lot now since I've I've left because the, during COVID, they had a merge with Accor, which has now made them the largest lifestyle hospitality company in the world, which is phenomenal for them. But sort of a whole other story. Um, so I worked well, we worked across um, some of the kind of F&B uh, products. So quite often it was like maybe a small brief that was we're going to open a new property and we need a new concept for an F&B product. So we would develop the concept of what that would be. Or also we did an awful lot of uh, working with the development teams and the interior design teams on the new the new Hoxtons. So for instance, let's take Vienna, um, another trip to Vienna. There was a, and it will be opening uh, next year. Um, it was that this is a new property. It's got a lot of differences to it. It's got some um some amenities that perhaps aren't necessarily something that's standard to a Hoxton what would that mean to our our guests what's the what's the expectations how can we kind of evolve the product so did an awful lot of that for them looking at uh so Edinburgh Berlin uh, as I said you know Vienna Shepherd's Bush in London really trying to help the brand constantly evolve so there was lots of that and then also a lot of just come up with new ideas that could evolve into something some of those ideas did, and a lot of those ideas didn't, but that's always the way with these sorts of things. And then unfortunately, it hit. Um, and like a lot of people, um, I lost my job because quite rightly at that point, when the doors of the hotels were shutting globally, they needed to kind of recalibrate. Um, yeah, and yeah, so yeah. I sort of stepped out of the business and set myself up in, in my own practice because I'd got the bug for hospitality. I've worked mm. a little bit on hospitality projects over the years, 
um, when I was at the Future Laboratory and, I, and a little bit on some of the consultancy work I had done in uh, and other businesses I'd kind of worked in across the, over the years. But actually being inside it, for me, what I found so rewarding was it's such an open, welcoming industry. It should be. Mm-hmm. It's hospitality, right? That's its very yeah, nature. Yeah, yeah. Um, but, but it was having a heyday, you know, it, it had shifted from just being a bed in a place to sleep to being this all encompassing yeah. experience. And that's what I really loved, loved about it. And so I took a bit of a punt because, you know, when hotels are shut and restaurants are shut and everyone's in lockdown, it was a bit mm. of a question mark as to what was going to happen. But I stuck to my guns and I slowly built up um, a new sort of set of clients, starting actually with a a co-working company in um, America called Kiln, who are um, were sort of yeah. still early growing at that point, but have exponentially grown since and really helped them with understanding their internal position and their branding and how they could they could scale. And that was fantastic. And then alongside there came uh, further work with Ennismore, uh, further work with Locke, with Birch. Uh, I now work very closely with TFE, which is uh, they're an um, Australian uh, hospitality brand. Um, and for the last couple of years, I've been very lucky to land again a dream brief where I um, had a company come to me and say, we want to develop a new brand, a new concept. We want to start, start by testing it in a test lab. And then we want to roll it out as a, a you know, fully fledged hospitality project. Here's our sort of commercial positioning. And this is what we're sort of where we see it fit within our portfolio. But go create which has been absolutely wonderful. And I've been working on that sort of alongside everything else really for the last couple of years. Nice. I mean, and on that thing in terms of the last couple of years, I mean, again, having read, you know, again, some of the stuff you put out, you know, uh, it's really a while ago, things like, you know, hospitality futures in a post-COVID world. So, I mean, from the point of view of literally hospitality futures in a post-COVID world, I think it's really interesting the point you're making there about hospitality linking into trends on an incredibly all-encompassing basis. It just seems that it just seems that sector seems to link into more trends than within reason any others. You know, from the point of view of just the amount of things that one has to consider and think about and reference and look to that that all get linked in at various points within hospitality. So, without obviously giving away any sort of like commercial secrets, can you just talk a bit about the sort of the landscape out there? So, when you when you're working with the, the sort of people you just mentioned. Um, and it's a huge question, but perhaps just go through some of the, perhaps either some of the macro trends um, or whatever that you're thinking about now that are really framing where it's all going. Yeah, I mean, I think first I would say that you're absolutely right, you're spot on, that hospitality does cover all trends because you're not looking more often than not in in other categories, you know, whether it's a drink category or the beauty category you're pretty much within a category and then you have a little bit around the edges whereas with obviously with hospitality you've got food and drink you've got sleep you've got wellness you've got retail you've got all the sort of the the lifestyle and leisure elements that run through that which means all of those things you need to be looking at Mm. secondly I think the other thing that's really key is yeah I'm first and foremost my background is trend forecasting and you know, as, as an industry, it's about creating another trend, making the industry move on. And actually, that's not what this is about. What I do in my mm. practice is I'm looking at culture and people and the value expectations yeah. that they have off the back of what's happening in the world. And how do you 
embrace those and build those into experience principles for a brand so that they mm. can activate those in a way that feels authentic to their brand offer and their product offer. Yep. So although in one sense you're looking, I'm always looking at the same thing for everybody because it's agnostic. It's yep. how you sort of drill it down and make it relevant for that particular product because if it's an urban, urban product versus um, a rural product or something that's um, more uh, traditional in its hospitality offer or something a little bit more kind of leaning towards something a little bit more hybrid that also makes a makes a makes a kind of a play I guess in it and so I'm looking at the same trends everybody else is looking at because they no one creates trends trends are what's happening in the world and as a reaction to that we start to see people's responses and their their value shifts against that um, and then resulting behaviors and therefore what they're looking for and I and then within an within industry as well, it's really important that we we don't make trends for trends' sake because of course it takes a long time to build a property. Even if you're flipping an existing hotel into a new one, you're looking at sort of you know realistically two to three years. Um, and so you need to be very much future focused to make sure when the doors open to that property, it's on point for the guests. But we also don't want to be creating a a cycle of FF&E where, you know, you design an interior designer of a hotel and then it's old within a short amount of time. Uh, and then, you know, it has to kind of turn around and come back again. You actually want people to understand the longevity of some of these trends and yeah. and design the experience and the design, the interiors to be able to be responsive to that. So a big element of what I work with my clients, a lot of my clients is talking about how can you be adaptable and flexible? And I, think the biggest thing I'm really working towards a lot with clients and I also talked a lot about at the Festival of Hospitality this year because I'm the trend partner for the Festival of Hospitality was very much just talking about this shift from what has been a big part of the industry for a long time is leisure which was coined by the Future Laboratory thank you Chris and Martin many years ago (laughs) which was the blurring of business and leisure and actually now how it's moving to what's been coined by Tom Marchant from Black Tomato, which is listeners, which is about life and business coming together. And actually this sense that we have to, we just want to live our lives today. And then we bolt on the bits around us. Whereas before it Mm. was a sort of bashing together of two parts of our worlds. And now it's this sense of nothing really has a beginning, a middle and end. It's about how an individual wants to spend their time in your property, in your space, and how you can activate that accordingly. How interesting. Listeners, you heard it here first. Um, and so go on then, perhaps just to unpacking both those bits. I, I think the, one of the biggest things that I am putting on the table for everybody right now is to be more conscious of how their decisions impact people and planet. Um, it's a trend I've been sort of, or a shift I've been talking about for, for clients with a couple of years, well, a year, sort of year or so now. Again, it was something I shared at the Festival of Hospitality last year was yep. this culture of care about how yep. we have a responsibility, any business, not just hospitality, we all have a responsibility to care for us, uh, our, our staff, um, our environment, and our guests slash our consumers. And mm. The hospitality industry, by its very nature, is not, as we know, very sustainable. Um, Mm. Mostly to get to where you want to travel to, you're on a plane. We know that's not great. Uh, Hotels, by their very nature, are 
empty during the day and full at night. So again, that has mm. has a lot of implications. And as an industry, it is struggling to to move to be more sustainable because by again by its very nature, people want to have historically the clean sheets, the clean towels, the long hot showers. Now I know a lot of businesses have very successfully moved the removed the miniature amenities and they're very proud of that, but this is just not good enough. You know, it's about how do you look at the responsibility of everything in the ecosystem around? So it's how can you you choose materials for your FF&E choices that are in a closed loop or a re, you know kind of reuse and return cycle, uh, how you can use paints and coatings that are better for the environment that absorb VOCs versus pump VOCs out, how you yeah. can work with local communities to really give back. So it's it's that is the, the biggest point. And I know everyone's talking about this within it, it's really important and I hate to use the word sustainability because it's so much bigger than that sustainability has become such a contentious word this is much yeah. more about and I call it conscious hospitality um, mm, and actually it's one of the pillars nice. of the concept the, mo- the moment or MONT concept that we're developing out of Berlin at the moment is actually we've rooted that in because when you develop a concept from scratch you can actually make better choices and you can try and go on a better journey so I think that's mm. probably one of the biggest things that I can obviously publicly um, talk about um, mm. in terms of what's what's key. And then just another one is the hospitality tension that we're living with at the moment, which is yeah. really interesting because uh, there is this there is this absolute desire for people to travel again. There's lots of people referring to the revenge travel, which is you know, damn yeah. COVID locked me down. I'm going to travel and I'm going to spend all my money. And I'm going to have a really great time, which is brilliant. But revenge travel is only going to exist for a certain period of time. But we, we're seeing people are still traveling. People, even though we've got the cost of living crisis, people are willing to spend more on experiences and travel. And it's the experience economy is really kind of uh, flourishing. So you've got that happening, which is then working against the uh, lack of investment and room stock that's coming up in the, in the industry at the moment, particularly in, in Europe. Because interest rates are so high, it seems much better for a lot of people just to leave their money in the banks. Um, there has been obviously the increased cost of raw materials and construction, which is having an impact on people's ability to move money around when they've actually got long term developments. And then against that, you've also got really high um, revenue and um, average daily rates on hotel rooms. So London, Paris, Milan, they have got some of the highest rates in their of their hotel rooms than they've ever had. And people are willing to pay them. Uh, and I don't know if you've seen that the old war office actually opened uh, yeah, last yeah. week. And their cheapest room right now is a thousand pounds. And, yeah. you know, it, it, they're not alone. I mean, there's there's a, a wonderful hotel called Zedwell, which is in Piccadilly Circus, which takes over the whole Trocadero building. They have got hundreds of bedrooms, none of them with windows. They're all beautifully designed and they've got lots of clean air. Don't worry about the lack of windows. Um, but, you know, it's not a luxury hotel. It's not a luxury space. And they're sometimes commanding 250 a night. And it's just incredible that people are willing to pay it. And so this is also something that I'm talking a lot with my clients about because it's trying to reconcile 
How do you create a responsible business that's not going to bottom out? How do you continue to take the uplift of profit, which you can then help to pay your staff better, to create a, a, a you know a more um, more balanced business, but at the same time not be in a bubble that's kind of going to burst. Mm. Yeah, and, and on that point, I know you mentioned just now about the old war office and you know raffles going in there, and uh, yeah, just huge amounts of uh, media. Not all of it uh, overly wonderful, should you say, in terms of just uh, the levels of uh, what do you say, sort of conspicuous consumption, to put it mildly, going in there. What about yeah. on, on a different issue of perhaps? Um, so, so, so we're obviously not sort of treading on toes in terms of um, giving me a, of your own sort of commercial secrets. What about um, perhaps other brands that you don't work with? Uh, in perhaps first of all in the hospitality space any ones out there that you can that you would point to and say wow there's a really interesting brand you know they're they're really getting it right in a particular area hmm yes i mean no i wouldn't say there's any one brand that i believe is getting everything right and i don't i think that's probably the case for for most categories um, there's always something that is they're doing extremely well at one point and perhaps something else that's not they're not doing so well in, in other other areas. Um, I, they're a client of my well, I mean, I'm not working with them at the moment, but I work with them on um, on Birch Selsden. I know you said he's not a client of mine, but I think Birch is a very interesting um, brand because they are able to tap into the the holy grail almost of hospitality in as much that it's membership which is a great product to have a membership model is wonderful um, yep. because obviously it gives you a great revenue stream um they are able to offer a reasonably priced although it's still going up um hospitality within 30 minutes of central london in a really beautiful landscape got 200 acres of what was a golf course which they're rewilding so Mm -hmm. they're tapping into you know the the desire and the need for being able to be in nature they've also got co-working and events and f&b and a pool and they sort of they've got everything Mm. with an urban environment and, and accessibility yes it's not cheap cheap because nothing is right now um yeah but it's it's not like the old war office where you really have to be of a certain high, you know ultra high net worth there mm. is some level of accessibility and for me i think that's it's successful in that sense however uh, they also do there's obviously things that they're not doing brilliantly because as i said before you can't do everything perfectly and there's always a tension when you're trying to evolve something new and, and develop it so I think they are great in what they're doing. And of course, Ennis Moore is still the powerhouse. Um, they are just, they're just, they've got their finger on the pulse. Uh, I mean, you know, they still got me going in next week for a trends presentation. So helping them with their finger Excellent. on the pulse. Um, <laughs> but, you know, as a big corporation, they they seem to, 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 to kind of understand where they're going and what they're doing, which I think is really interesting. But I do think they're getting, they're probably going to get too big too quickly. So again, watch this space um and there is some new up-and-coming hospitality brands that i think are going to be yeah i think are going to start to to make change there is never any sector that is necessarily doing everything correctly as as i feel we all know at the moment hospitality sector is, is seems to be the golden child um you know it was fashion for a long time 
uh, food for a long time. Um, everybody is still trying to find themselves and recalibrate, uh, you know, the NF, the whole NFT thing that, that's still bu- bubbling away. I think that was, you know, maybe the technology sector and sort of the, the metaverse and where some businesses are trying to jump into the metaverse and dipping their toe into something that probably doesn't really deliver a real experience. Maybe that's where I see some of the um, negativity but often I think that's because people get kind of hot-headed and they jump. We've got to get involved in that because it's the latest cultural thing. It's the biggest thing on TikTok. It's what everyone's talking about versus saying, should I? Why am I? And what does it offer to my to my guests, my consumers, my, you know, whatever? In terms of um, places and spaces, uh, is there anything, anywhere now that you're looking to that you're thinking, you know what, that really is absolutely uh the centre of you know uh, of what's going on um, in terms of you, you're talking earlier on about you having just got back from places you're talking about you know uh, things you're working on in Berlin or Shepherd's Bush therefore a city or a or a particular bit of a city not specifically at the moment um, what, what I would say in sort of relation to that is we're definitely seeing and I'm sort of tracking this in my work a rise in the all inclusive holiday which mm-hmm. in many ways is a bit like oh. Uh, you know, we all we all kind of wish that the buffet would die with COVID. You know, the awful visions we all have <laughs> of that kind of all inclusive, everyone eating as much as they can. Yeah. And I was one of the people wishing it would die, but somehow it seems to have continued. And actually, what's really interesting, we're seeing this this sense of uh, you only live once. You know, live your life to the full. Particularly younger generations who who we were all locked down, obviously, but they were locked down at a very pivotal point in their lives when they wanted should be out exploring and and seeing the world and and having a lot of fun. They're also mm. living with doom and gloom over their heads. So there's this sense of do you know what? If I'm going to work, my earn my money, and I'm going to work hard for it, I'm going to spend it hard. But I want to mm. make it work for me as much as possible. And so yeah. we're starting to see people going, actually, if I go on an all-inclusive, I get the benefits of everything. And this isn't just that, you know, I'm going to drink all the cheap, as much cheap alcohol as I want all-inclusive. This is all-inclusive that encompasses all of the elements. So all of the cultural programming that can come with it, all of the, uh, the F&B with, you know, kind of a la carte restaurants, not just the kind of pilot high. Uh, so therefore, I think we're going to see a shift in perhaps some of the locations where these will pop up because mm. to a certain extent you need some level of space to do some some of this and then also within that sort of seeing the rise of the residency style locations where you'll go for longer because you can work from anywhere or work from everywhere depending on yep. where you look at it and with this listness coming in where you can say well I'm going to just go and live somewhere for three weeks three months you know whatever it is but actually, I want to learn and experience and have everything kind of rolled into that. So, rather, so you've got the urban environment, then you've got sort of, in a more typical sense, the beach environment. But I think there's a, if we saw location as a concentric ring, I think there's a, a semi areas that have been untapped where you might not necessarily have the obvious beach or the city, but actually they become a destination in their own right because you create the destination and you start to to bring people and pull the local communities in to create this local experiential all-inclusive space. Nice. And, and does that also sort of dovetail um, somewhat with sort of the whole sort of digital nomad thing? Exactly. Exactly. Um, um, and you know, you know, obviously, digital nomad when that was first defined was yeah. yeah. 
somebody who's obviously can take their laptop and work from anywhere. But what we're also seeing is a rise in a shift in the types of jobs that people are looking to take, ones that maybe aren't so high powered and so pressurized, but it gives them the flexibility. Doesn't mean say they have to have a laptop in order to do the work, but they can they can have more ability to flex in and out of their time and their use within within their day to day. So it's this nomadic mindset that I think is enabled by our digital ability to be anywhere or our digital ability to have access to any anywhere at any time, any place, and that fluidity that people are looking for. So yeah, absolutely, it is part of that. But also as as family constructs change, uh, yeah. relationships yes. change. You know, we, uh, there was a statistic, and I can't remember at the top of my head, but you know, thirty uh, somethings, the number of them that travel solo, not because they haven't got friends or family, it's just they've got different likes and dislikes to for their travel desires and perhaps their friends and family. So they're traveling solo, but they're traveling with companies like Flashpack, which is all about bringing groups of thirty somethings together to travel to places that they could only enjoy together that you should you should share with other people so again that is going to sort of is having an impact on all of this as well because that traditional couple holiday or family holiday which is set up yeah. for you know multiples of two this is no longer the case so i think that we're start to see that seep into how hospitality businesses need to adapt as well and so and then on inclusivity just mm. perhaps can you talk a bit about that, about sort of where that really is at the moment. Where are you then? How are you sort of interpreting that? Yeah, I, it's absolutely so important. And I, I capture it under the culture of care that I touched on before, sort of this sense yeah, of having yeah, okay. kind of conscious community around you. Um, inclusivity has been talked about so much with um, sort of marginalised groups, you know, the LBT, LBTQ+, plus, et cetera, et cetera. And that is vital, as is um, representing, um, you know, there was um, Black Girls Who, who Ski, for instance, as is a, is a collective who are sort of saying, look, it's not just the white people you see in the adverts. Actually, we we also ski. So those things are also really important. Yeah, yeah. But there is that wider sense of inclusivity, which is uh, neurodiv- neurodiversity is hugely important. Yeah. You know, the, yeah, the yeah. amount of people when I was growing up, that the only neurodiversity I think I knew at the time was dyslexia. Now, you know, people have been recognised for such a broad spectrum and it's, it's wonderful, but we're still not supporting them. And there's a really nice example from um, Brooklyn Hotel in Manchester where they really considered the, the, the neurodiversity of some of their future guests by using tiles in in the reception area, which got a low glare, because of course, if you've got an issue with bright lights or high high glare, that can be really um, discombobulating for, for people. Yeah, and yeah. they also designed the the booths in their F and B space to, to to dampen the sound in a way. So if you're again, if you loud noises or uh, just sort of general acoustics are unnerving for people, so there's that level of inclusivity that is happening. And then again, where it's really, really important and has to happen is bringing the inclusivity into the staff that are coming into the to the hotels and into the industry. And there are quite a few businesses now that are starting up doing this and actually helping people get access to it. Because unless you are somebody that knows the industry and gets gets to go to one of the hospitality schools, which there are few and far between that people go to. It's not something that's really talked about in schools. 
it's put almost frowned upon. Like, oh, you want to go to hospitality? Well, that's a low paid job or whatever. But it's actually when you hear people tell their stories of how they got into it, it's it's amazing. And um, and the Festival of Hospitality actually last week, one of their events was a story slam. It was the second year they've done this, and they invited people from all different walks of life from the hospitality industry to tell their stories. And it's often it's like, well, I was a student, so I was working in a bar, and then I did this and I did that, which is wonderful. Yeah. Yeah. But it's also hearing stories where you've got a company like Soraya um, Hospitality where they they go and find people who are um, either um, out of work or just not in a position to be able to kind of get into the industry. And they actually mentor them alongside hotels and get them into work and actually help push them through the system. So it has to happen. It has to as an industry, it's all about being hospitable. It's all about helping people. So we need to help everybody in in, in all senses. Mm. And, and that's also just going back slightly on that one. Just to one of the points you made a while ago about this sort of living life to the full, and then talking about different sort of residency options coming up, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Does that also link to um, this whole idea of sort of personal optimization? You know. Um, Making me the sort of making me the best version of me, allowing me to to really um, yeah sort of flourish in that way. Yeah, exactly. Um, and that and I think that falls into sort of two camps. You've got the optimize me in the health and wellness element, and there's a huge amount of hotels that have been opening over the last few years, which are all about optimizing you as an individual. So you've got Equinox, which has obviously been open in New York for many years, but they're actually opening one um, in the Middle East, which is going to be phenomenal, which is very much about optimising your physical, your mental and your health and well-being. And then you've got lots of hotels and, and retreats where you can do, uh, you know, everything's around your physical and mental health well-being. But then there's also the flip side of that, which is hedonistic hospitality, which yeah, is yeah. actually I'm just going to go and have a really good time and I'm going to drink uh, myself silly with the most wonderful cocktails and I'm going to sleep in an amazing bed and I'm going to rent a room which has got an incredible roll-top bath and I'm going to fill it with loaded bubble bath because that's also just as important. It's about optimising. It's about giving yourself space. It's about giving you your self-care because mental well-being isn't just about, you know, holier than thou and, you know, injecting yourselves with the latest um nutrients it, it's about actually giving yourself time to think and and to just to breathe i guess what about something completely um different or perhaps not so different and, and that's just in terms of the other work that you've been doing for a long time in terms of your lecturing so the world of academia and particularly Un university of the arts london can you just talk a bit about that perhaps or you know what you've been up to over the years there and perhaps how things may or may not have changed yeah so i I've been a visiting lecturer there for 17 years now. So I've seen a lot of change, but also interestingly, seen very little change. Um, I'm, I'm unfortunately working with them less and less just the last few years because just uh, two things, I guess. One is now that I'm much more entrenched in hospitality, that's less directly relevant to the core of the students. Yeah, okay, sure. But my yeah. practice overall looking at the wider world is, uh, and also just because I've been travelling crazily so just trying to fit it in but it but for the past 17 years uh it has been wonderful going in and just working with the students to give them that perspective of what's happening in the world now my background right way back was I was a textile designer I did 
woven textiles degree and then I went to the Royal College of Art and did a master's in woven textiles. I have not woven a piece of fabric since I left. Um, I ended up um, actually going straight into Philips to work on their future futures programme, looking at what was going to happen when technology and fashion and textiles merge. And that was in the like 1998, 99. So yeah. a long time ago, and we developed wearable electronics, uh, the first uh, commercially available wearable electronics um, with Levi's and we did some stuff with Nike and Adidas. And so I have that sort of history as well and materiality. So I was always able to work with students and kind of th- weave that through by bringing also the, the trends and the cultural narrative to it. Um, and it's been it's been amazing. I've, some of my students over the years have been phenomenal. Many of them have worked with me over the years. I've always plucked the the, the, the you know the brightest and the greatest and brought them on a journey with me, uh, which is which is lovely. Uh, and I think what has changed over the time is they well it was textile futures when we first started working there, and, and now it's material yep. futures because okay. materiality is is so much richer now. And what's been super exciting is watching students who have literally started with a Petri dish. Um, one of my ex-students, Jen Keane, and her company have just uh, collaborated with Gani and created the first uh, bacteria handbag, uh, which was shown during London Design Festival, which is fantastic. So proud of her and what she did. Um, yeah. It's such an incredible course, an incredible incubator. Um, and over the years, it's been run by an incredible series of, of, of people and the students have definitely changed they're much more they're much broader this the last few years the cohort's been much broader it's also taken in people from architecture interior design uh people from um science backgrounds whereas before it was traditionally more textiles and more men have joined in the last few years as well which is also great because it does it changes your perspective and, and, and your thinking and they're output has become more speculative for sure over the last probably five years really pushing the boundaries of how most industries think about what the future could be from whether it's sometimes they look at things like the future of mining so um you know when we run out of all our precious materials where else we're going to get it from all the way through to uh printing with bacteria and creating the latest pigments for beauty products from algae so you know it's an incredible course and I'm very lucky to still be part of it because they feed me as much as I feed them although after a a couple of days of tutorial you do feel exhausted because they do they want to suck you dry because they 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 crave they crave that commercial lens which you don't tend to get when you're at university and and that's a real richness that I know has been a benefit for me working with them over the years. Nice. And you're talking there about sort of um, what the future could be. Uh, and I'm aware of, of uh, time for the rest of this conversation because uh, I know you're super busy. But in terms of the, the future then in, and uh, perhaps uh, what you are happy to talk about sort of uh, sort of uh, in a podcast. So uh, the future for people, places, spaces, what's um, what's on the horizon? Um, very interesting. So uh, my business is sort of three years old now. So um, I'm at that point where I am uh, trying to sort of decide where to go next. I've been extremely lucky to pick up some of the best brand partners since I've been solo and continue to work with some some really wonderful people. So I hope there's gonna be some very exciting news in the, you know, in the near future that I will be able to share a little bit more of. <laughs> nice and then um and then in terms of um sort of uh 
what yeah what sort of inspires you go on then i mean also sort of you're obviously a very inspiring person but uh yeah so where do you get your inspiration from are you a big um reader a watcher a listener all of those none of those what <laughs> all of the above always watching always listening always reading always being very annoying um because <laughs> i'm either saying why where's that from or if somebody's yeah. particularly for my husband he'll say have you seen this and i'll be oh yeah that's really old news <laughs> um um, there isn't anywhere specific that I go to uh, because everything has has inspiration. Um, I, you know, obviously I'm traveling all the time. My my kind of cultural antenna is, is is always up. So I'm just I am that classic person that I just like to sit and watch and listen. Um, and something sparks my interest, and I'll you know look look, look you know look a little bit more. But there is there is not a sort of a go to destination. I think it's the same with everybody in, who categorizes themselves as a sort of kind of a trend forecaster or a creative strategist or a forecaster. We just we just have to be looking looking all the time, everywhere. That, you know that, that there might be a signal or a sign. But of course, I'm looking at particularly within hospitality, trying to keep an eye on who's doing the latest and the greatest, but also on the fringes, who's doing something really interesting. And actually one of my clients for a few years is not in the hospitality industry, is The Unseen, who are a beauty company. Uh, Lauren Walker, who founded the company, she was actually one of my students. I used to teach a little bit at the Royal College of Art as well. And she was one of yeah. my students then. And we sort of reconnected a few years ago. Um and they're really kind of they're wonderful to work with. And they, she and they're a great source of inspiration because they are changing the direction of the beauty industry. They're bringing technology and science and innovation and and witticism and all those things into a new product line. So that's a really good example of you. You know, you you wouldn't think I would be engaged with and talking to a brand in that sense because it doesn't actually. I'm not going to bring their products and say stick it into one of my hotels. That doesn't make sense. But it's those dialogues and those conversations that that inspire me and my teams when we're working together to to, to think differently and, and and pose ourselves questions, ask ourselves why, so that we can then hopefully come up with something a bit different each time. Nice. Thinking differently and asking why. Back to Socrates and the Greeks, as we say. Um, so um, and why not? So and then just to make sure, by the way, that everyone is entirely aware where they can track you down swiftly and easily. So go on then. Um, uh, yeah, Where can they do so? So my website is peopleplacesspaces.co um, and my Instagram is about, about peopleplacesspaces with some underscores. Um, so hopefully you can uh, find me that way. And then also I'd be remiss not to put a shout out specifically on the project that I reference in Berlin that I've been working on. So although I'm doing it for a client, uh, it's TFE um, in, in Australia. They're the kind of the, the, the big business behind it, but it's been a kind of labour of love. And it's sort of a little bit like giving birth to a new baby. This lab that we'll be launching in February, which is going to be very exciting. We're crowdsourcing guests to come and stay with us for free for kind of between one and three nights to really help us answer that question are we doing things correctly is this what you're really looking for so if people are interested in that as well then do check out uh, its moment which is mm um colon nt um or moment as if you said it as a word uh, yeah. and uh, yeah and see if that's uh, somewhere you'd like to come and stay and um we'd love to see you in berlin in the new year 
consider it done. Uh, banging on the door, believe me. Uh, fantastic. That sounds absolutely brilliant. Well, look, uh, Philippa, thank you so much. It's just really, yeah, really interesting talking with you. So to the uh, amazingly creative thinker, Philippa Wagner, who connects people, places and spaces. Thank you very much indeed. Thanks. Thanks for listening to The New Abnormal. This series is brought to you in partnership with the Copenhagen Institute for Future Studies, which helps clients become futures ready. Just so you know, the issues discussed in these podcasts also link to my speeches. Check out seanpeterc.com for more info. Please listen to previous conversations in the series with many other fascinating guests. But till next time, goodbye.